It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And Alex shoots one deep the other way. Left center field. Jesus Sanchez will watch this one go. And there's the first career home run for Alec Thomas. He does, and Yepes drives it out to deep left. It's at the wall. Gone! Juan Yepes, his first home run at Bush Stadium. Two. Gonzalez, high drive down the right field line, hooking toward the corner, and it is gone! A home run for Luis Gonzalez! His first big league home run puts the Giants ahead 4-2. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo. No, I did that last week. I'm Jason Rabliff. But Jonathan Mayo is here as is Jim Callis. And we are, as of today, as we record this, exactly two months away from the draft, which means we're going to talk about the draft. We're also going to talk about some upcoming changes to the top 100 prospects list. We're going to look at some hot prospects in both the majors and the minors. We are going to tell you about which minor league games you can watch for free on MLB.tv this week. And we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. Jonathan, welcome back. How you doing? Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, I uh, yeah. Last week, I I accidentally identified myself as you. I'm flattered. Jim, how are you? I'm doing well. All good. Good. New puppy in the house or in the in the family? In the house. My daughter has graduated with her master's degree. My daughter Beth has a new puppy, Finn, and she is learning that new puppies are a lot of fun, but also a lot of work. So they are, <laughs> I believe, out in the family room right now. Let's talk about the draft. Two months away, you guys are in the process of expanding our top draft prospects list yet again. Started out at 100 in January, expanded it to 150 in April. Uh, about a month later now, we will be expanding it yet again. There was some news over the past few days, over the past week, about the draft. And one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name, in this year's draft class. Is that is that fair to say, biggest name in this year's draft class? Most familiar name. I don't know if I'd say biggest name, but I'd say one of the most famous names. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I was going for. Kumar Rocker. And the news was that, and we'd been wondering about this, and we I think we talked about it on previous podcasts, like where where is this guy? What's he doing? What's he going to do? And we were waiting and waiting, and we found out uh, late last week that he is headed to Tri-City, Tri-City Valley Cats, formerly of the... New York Penn League, now an MLB partner league, Indie Ball uh, in the Frontier League. And he's headed there to pitch uh, for approximately a month leading up to the draft. Guys, what should we expect here? How often do you think we'll see him pitch? How deep into games do you think we'll see him pitch? What are we thinking here? Well, I think he'll be on a very controlled plan. And my guess is, I mean, I I think we've both heard he's going to pitch about a half dozen times between he hasn't I don't know if he's officially joined the team he's not going to pitch right away for him but a half dozen times between now and the draft and I would think you'd start him off with shorter outings and eventually he might work his way up to four or five six innings um you know it's it's not like 
you know, they're going to hand him the ball and expect him to go nine, you know, every time out. I, I think it's going to be very controlled, uh, you know, a step up from, you know, just throwing bullpens for teams and against some professional level competition. But, you know, I, I think they're going to be very careful with how he's handled. And, and obviously the, 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 the player and, and, you know, his camp are going to dictate to the team how he's going to be used. It's not going to just be, you know, is Pete and Cavilia the manager there? Do we decide? That's right. No. It, it's, it's not going to just Pete and Cavilia, you know, determining what the game situation is and, and letting Kugmar pitch, you know, seven, eight innings a pop. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, you know, a big reason why he didn't go back to Vanderbilt, I think, because that would mean going deep into starts, you know, every week throughout a, a competitive college season in the SEC. And I think how deep he goes here is probably going to depend on how efficient he can be. If he's throwing strikes, then you may see him go five or six. But I think it's going to be a pretty tight pitch count. I'm kind of thinking of it almost like starters in the Arizona Fall League. You know, maybe they go two, three at the start, and then they you know build up a little bit. You may see a couple five innings at the end, that kind of thing. I'm thinking more back to the old days when there was more of a gap between the end of the season and the, and the Fall League, and it would take guys to you know, a little longer to, to ramp back up. But it it's going to be very controlled. As as Jim said, you know, by the player and and his agent, and I'm sure teams are going to go running in, and then it's I, you know, Jim, I don't know about you, but I think it's really all going to come down to how willing they are to share medical information, and if they don't do that, then that's a huge risk because people don't really know what the Mets saw when they walked away from signing him. So I, I you know, I think it's going to be very interesting. How he throws, you know, if he goes out every five, six days and he's healthy, that's one thing and the stuff is good. But if he does that and there isn't a sharing of information, then I don't know how a team decides what to do with him. Yeah, well, I think they're going to have to share some. It's going to be a question of how much. And you're right. Even if he went out and let's say he's throwing mid-90s with a wipeout slider and blowing guys away in the Frontier League, teams still need to see the medical information. I mean, we, you know, the Mets know what they saw. They've, you know, I'll give the Mets credit. They haven't talked about it. I haven't talked to anybody who knows exactly what went on. I've heard a million different rumors and a million different stories. Nobody seems to know exactly even what part of the body it was. You're not going to draft this guy. If Kumar goes out and he's throwing 95 with a wipeout slider, you're still just not going to blindly draft him in the middle of the first round without seeing the medical reports. You know, I would suspect because he's going to be pitching indie ball that he won't go to the draft combine. If he did go to the draft combine and submitted to a physical, he would be guaranteed at least 75% of the slot value for wherever he's picked, which would give him like some cushion. You know, you, you still are going to have a post-draft physical, but if you did that pre-draft physical at the combine, you, you'd be locked into getting at least 75% of slot rather than 0% of slot, which is what Kumar was offered last year after the physical. But uh, no, I mean, everybody's going to go see him. Kumar Rocker utilizing the Kumar Rocker rule, <laughs> the erroneously named Kumar Rocker rule. Right. Yeah, because because the Kumar Rocker rule wouldn't have helped Kumar last year because he didn't do the pre-draft MRI program that existed. But yeah, it's um, I I think MLB is hoping to have more people come to the combine, and that will be one of the incentives to come and do a physical. Now you still have to do a post-draft physical. It's not like you do this physical and somebody issues a pronouncement healthy, not healthy, and and then all's good. You still will do a, a post-draft physical with your team but you do have a lot more protection than you did in the past. What is the absolute best case scenario? How high could you see him going if he comes out throwing 95 with a wipeout slider and the medicals 
look as good as they possibly could, which is to say that the Mets saw something last year. There was something. But what's the absolute best case scenario here? I mean, I would say back third of the first round. And it's kind of a weird thing. Like if, say, the medical says that, because the rumors and reports that we sort of heard is that the Mets saw something with the elbow and the shoulder, right? And that sets off all sorts of alarm bells. We We don't know, right? This is all speculation. If it's just the elbow, I think teams will be more comfortable in taking him because there are plenty of teams that don't shy away from guys who already had Tommy John surgery or need Tommy John surgery. So I think that, you know, it's going to depend on what is found there. But if there's a comfort level there, I would say somewhere around 20 to the sort of comp A round. What do you think, Jim? I think his upward end might be a little bit higher, but you you put that well, Jonathan. I mean, he could come out and throw well. I, I don't think we're going to have a pristine medical report. I mean, hmm. that would be kind of odd given how the Mets just ran away from him last year and didn't even try to sign him for a reduced rate. But if you have a medical report that people are comfortable with, and it doesn't have to be the whole industry, it just has to be one team, just given the lack of pitching and, and college pitching in this draft that's healthy, if you told me that he went 15th, I could see that, but it's it's very hard to answer without knowing exactly what the medical is going to tell teams. Yeah, I was hedging my bets a little. Okay, let's let's move on from Kumar. As I said, you guys are expanding the list right now. Tell us about some guys who are on the rise as you're digging into the list and getting more feedback and seeing players perform and hearing uh, from scouts. A couple guys on the rise. Jim? Yeah, I'll start with one, and I put him in the first round, and I probably put him on the low end, but but that's Justin Crawford, who is 37th on our, our top 150. He'll move up when we do the top 200 next week. He's the son of, of Carl Crawford, plays it. Bishop Gorman High in Las Vegas, which is a big time high school program. And, you know, I think I had, I don't have my mock draft in front of me. What, I have 10 straight hitters to start off my mock draft last week? Correct. Um, and it might be more than that. And I could see him even pushing his way into the top 10, perhaps. He's super athletic, you know, outfielder. This will shock you as Carl Crawford's son that he's athletic and can really run. You know, big shock there. <laughs> Bats left handed, he can hit. Power. I think there's some question how much power he has, but it's you know he'll he'll have enough. But it's going to be a, a bat and speed over power when all is said and done. Chance to be a plus center fielder, better arm than his dad. So I think you'll see him play center. You know, and if the power comes, you, you could have even a five tool outfielder. So he just I think guys are getting really really excited about him. And like I said, I think I had him going 23rd to the Blue Jays in my mock, and. That might be 10 or so spots too low. Like, I, I think he's really moving up the boards. Are you saying he could potentially push his way into the top 10? We could have a lot of family ties hmm. in the top 10. You know, the guys at the very top, Drew Jones, Elijah Green, Jackson Holiday, Brooks Lee, all with sort of famous. Chase Young, Daniel Suzak. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jonathan, someone from your neck of the draft that's on the rise. Well, both these guys are from my neck of the draft, to be Oh, Jim stole one of your guys. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. Uh, We share. And uh, I'm staying in the same state, uh, just a different uh, different part of the state. Robbie Snelling is from Reno. Not as much talent comes out of there as the Las Vegas area. Bishop Gorman is where Joey Gallo went to high school, among others. And, you know, Snelling is a really interesting guy because, you know, he showed pretty well on the showcase circuit over the summer. He was a very talented football player. Had the chance to you know to go and play Division One football 
uh, if he wanted to. And his name is really, really creeping up into first round conversations. Jim, I really like that you you ended up putting him at 17 to the Phillies. Now he's number 79 on our list. He's going to make a, a pretty large jump up. He gave up playing football. He was only going to play baseball if he goes to LSU. And, you know, he he's super athletic. He's big and strong. He's you know up to 97. There's probably more to come. He can really spin a curveball. He's got a decent changeup. Obviously, he doesn't need it as much. Uh, and he throws a lot of strikes. And his name has been moving up into these conversations where if you told me end of the day that he will be the first high school pitcher to get taken i i could believe it now i don't know if that's gonna happen but he's now up in, in the same conversation among the high school lefties with brandon barrera who's from the miami area and jackson ferris who's at img academy and some people i think have him ahead of either of them and maybe ahead of any of the right handers mostly because dylan lesko needed tommy john surgery but that middle of the first round placement where jim put him it's starting to sound more and more like it could happen. Has uh, has Nevada become a bit more of a hotbed, high school hotbed for the draft in recent years? Well, I think it has been for a while. I mean, you had Joey Gallo. You had Chris Bryant got a seven-figure offer out of high school. You had Bryce Harper graduated early, but he was a Nevada high school guy. Nevada is like one of those sneaky good states in terms of producing talent. All right, guys, let's take a break and come back talk about some upcoming changes to the top 100 prospects list we call this internally anyway we call it market corrections where we're going to make some adjustments to the top 100 we have a mass graduation from our lists in the coming week so we'll talk about that when we come back on the mlb pipeline podcast This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are going to talk what we like to call around here market corrections, which is maybe a bit of a misnomer, but um, which one of you wants to explain this to the masses? I'm going to defer to Jim. I think he's very good at the nuts and bolts explanation. Okay. Well, I will take over. (laughs) We do this four times a year, not counting our our major overhauls in the off season and and after the trade deadline. But essentially we we do three things. One, we kind of re-vote on the top 15 prospects 
just to make sure the top of the list is where we want it. Two, we look for guys who need to make significant jumps on the list, say up or down 15 or 20 spots, roughly. You know, we're not we're not just fine-tuning it, moving up a guy three spots. And then three guys who aren't on the list who maybe we need to add, you know, before it's time to replace guys who graduate. And we and we, you know, we're gonna tie this one in. There's a all the guys who are on opening day rosters will reach their 46th day in the big leagues on May 22nd if they've been up all year. And that's one of the rookie qualifications is you don't exceed 45 days, which we use for our prospect reports. The, the top 100 will look much different on Monday than it did going into the weekend. Right. So right off the top, Witt, gone. Julio, number three. Gone. Julio's going to be gone. And Witt might go too. Both Witt and Julio, like Julio's two at bats away and Witt's only eight at bats away. So they may graduate before the weekend. Yeah. Yep. Torkelson. So three out of the top four will be gone. As well as, I think, Hunter Green and Jeremy Pena. So five total. But yeah, like three right off the top. Yeah. So, so I mean, that without any adjustments would move Adley Rutschman back into the number one spot where he was prior to being unseated by Bobby Witt Jr. I'm going to guess that that is not going to change. That's a good guess. I know you guys are early in in conversations about how this is all going to pan out. I am kind of curious. You won't have to consider this because these guys will be off the list. But, you know, you said that part of part of this is resettling the top 15 overall. Based on what you've seen early on, and it's a small sample size, but would you make any adjustments to that top four overall, Witt, Rutschman, Julio, and Torkelson in that order? Oh, you mean if we could adjust those guys? Yeah. If they were not graduating and we were doing this market correction prior to them graduating. Well, I doubt we'd change it based on guys struggling in the big leagues versus Adley being hurt for much of the early season and being in the minors. I mean, you, you could reopen the debate again. I always feel like, I don't know why, like I'm the guy running Bobby Witt Jr. down a little bit, and I love Bobby Witt Jr. I, I, I would have taken Adley over Bobby Witt Jr. coming into the season. So personally, I would still take Adley over Bobby Witt Jr. I wouldn't be sitting here going, oh, well, Bobby Witt struggled for six weeks in the big leagues, so we got to drop him. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Uh, you know, Julio is the one, and I know you guys talked about him last week, who's starting to figure things out at the big league level at age 21. So, you know, if you wanted to do it just based on the small sample, yeah, I might go Adley, Julio, and then Witt, but I, I, I wouldn't for, for the reasons, you know, Jim pointed out. I do want to also point out that the mass graduation is officially in honor of Zeev Mayo's 21st birthday on May 22nd. So, wow. I like how that was timed. That's another big graduation. That's right. Okay. So, outside of the very top of the list, Talk about some guys who could fall into that category of guys who make or warrant warranting big jumps and you don't want to wait until the midseason re-rank. Um, and I know, like I said, you guys are in preliminary conversations as we record this about who will in fact be making moves. So this is not any this is not official, this is not set, but guys that you would advocate for that should be making big jumps. Yeah, and again, I, I like the way you framed that. This is really more like this was a guy that you know, we, we don't do this in a vacuum. Uh, you know, Sam Dykstra, Jim, and myself will, you know, sort of combine forces to sort of figure out who should move, you know, up and down, who should be added. But for me, the guy from my teams that I would, that I'll advocate to jump up quite a bit will be Leo Paguero, the shortstop prospect for the Pirates. 
He's currently at number 77, which is fine. We'll have to see what happens. But, you know, this is a guy who's 21 for all of this season. He had a good but not great year last year in high A. And this year he's in double A and he's just raking. Slash line of 322, 352, 525. You know, he's got seven steals. He plays a really, really good shortstop. That Altoona team is absolutely stacked with most of, it seems, uh, the Pirates' prospect talent, and that's that's a lot because it's a very deep system. And he's gone out and really performed well while jumping up to double-A for the first time. Yeah, I'm looking at some other guys who are 21 or younger in double-A. You've got Corbin Carroll, who's number 19 overall. Mm. Uh, Speaking of guys raking at double-A at the age of 21, he's got a 1.130 OPS, 11 home runs in just 145 plate appearances. You have Michael Harris of the Braves, who is performing pretty well, 289, 347, 481 slash line, 21 years old at double A. Paguero, you mentioned, has posted a 322, 352, 525 slash line. And then Elvis Martinez of the Blue Jays, 20 years old at double A with an 850 OPS. And then the only teenager at double a this guy has been consistently good this year and kind of turned it on a little bit as of late even more but jordan walker he's ranked number 29 19 years old the only teenager in double a 906 ops so that's pretty good yeah, most of those younger guys at double a have been performing all right jim how about someone that you think deserves to make a big leap up the top 100 list well, I'm going to cross you guys up because you guys thought I was going to say Daniel Espino, wow. who I've talked about on a million podcasts. Everybody knows that. I'm going to say Kyle Harrison of the Giants, actually. you know, we've, we've talked about him, too. He's a guy who, when he was in high school, was known more for his polish than his stuff. And his stuff started to take off at the beginning of his very short high school senior season. That got ended because of the pandemic. He came out in Instructional League. And then in pro ball, made his debut last year, and he's throwing the mid-90s up to 98 with a harder and sharper slider. It just blew guys away in low A. He was the low A West pitcher of the year. And this year, he's been even better. He's gone up to high A, 24 innings, 51 strikeouts, only 24 base runners. And he is continuing to maintain that stuff. He is continuing to dominate. And I think Kyle Harrison has helped himself a ton in, in terms of if you're lining up all the pitching prospects in baseball. So I, I think Kyle Harrison's a guy who makes a jump. Yeah, he has more strikeouts than any pitcher on our top 100 prospects list. You mentioned, Jim, 51 and just 24 innings. You look at the other guys who are up there. Grayson Rodriguez has 46. Matthew Libertor has 46. Yuri Perez has 45. Hunter Green has 44 in the big leagues. But all those guys are 32, 40, 28, 33 and a third innings. And Kyle Harrison at just 24 innings, 51 strikeouts. Not bad. Okay. Let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some hot prospects, both guys in the big leagues and in the minor leagues. That'll be next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo talking hot rookies in the big leagues, hot prospects in the minor leagues. Let's start in the big leagues. So preseason, we did a ranking of our top rookie of the year candidates, five in each league. We have done a re-rank of that. We also did just hot rookies, the hottest rookies of the first two weeks of the season, which was approximately a month ago. And now uh, we're working on a story looking at which rookies have been hottest over the past 30 days, approximately, since that story went up. Pretty interesting, guys. If you just look at the total base leaders for rookies over the past 30 days, a couple of uh, very familiar names at the top. Number one, Julio Rodriguez. And tied for second with Jeremy Pena is Bobby Witt Jr., both of whom, Witt and Julio, we've talked about in this podcast already. Uh, But first of all, seems like those guys are coming around. But let's talk about a couple other names, guys who have been hot over the past month. Jonathan, guy that we got pretty familiar with during the fall league last year. Yeah, Juan Yepes is, uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think he's a classic Cardinals prospect who is kind of underappreciated, you know, ends up being a really, really good big league hitter. And if his start is any indication, you know, then that's going to be right. We you're right. We saw him in the fall league. He was one of the better performers, you know, in the fall league overall. He had a, an OPS over a thousand while he was there. Uh, was hitting pretty well in AAA. Just came up, you know, beginning of May, and you know, was off to a 366, 435, 585 line with a with a couple of homers in just 11 games. You know, so this uh, this is a guy who. Uh, of of the guys who have played regularly in this last stretch, he's got the best OPS, a 1020 OPS, and gives the Cardinals, you know, a, another interesting bat. And one who, you know, he he's not a great defender, but he is capable at a number of positions. And he played, you know, just about everywhere when he was down in Memphis. So he's played mostly corner outfield, but he can play first base. If you need him to play third, he can probably do that. I wouldn't put him there every day, but it's the bat. That looked last fall like it was going to play, and so far it's playing. All right, and Jim, the guy you're going to talk about, honestly, for me, was a bit of a surprise. I did not realize that he was having the success that he is. I did not either. I did not uh, wake up this morning thinking, "Hey, I'm going to talk about Luis Gonzalez on the Pipeline podcast." But uh, but here I am, and you know, he's a guy who I do our White Sox list, I do our Giants list. The White Sox waived him last year, and the Giants picked him up. He's not even ranked on our Giants list. And you know, he was a guy who White Sox took in the third round out of New Mexico in 2017. He had a really good first full season in pro ball, was one of the better hitters in the system. 
and then just fell off the map. He didn't perform in double A in 2019. He got two plate appearances in the big leagues in 20 during the pandemic season. And then he struggled in triple A for the White Sox, got a, another handful of at-bats before they waived him and the Giants picked him up. And for the season, that was hitting 349 in 21 games, 15 RBIs, uh, two homers, three steals. He's played great for the Giants and, and Farhan Zaidi's just done a tremendous job. You know, he comes from the A's and the Dodgers, who two organizations that that do a tremendous job of kind of making acquisitions on the pro side and, and having the guys exceed expectations. And Luis Gonzalez is doing exactly that. I don't know if he's like this year's Giants version of Lamont Way. You know, not big tools. You know, he can but he can do a little bit of everything. He can play all three outfield spots. I think the power is probably his worst tool, but he's got, you know, some gap power, can run a little bit, pretty good arm. He pitched some in college too. Um, and he's been great for the Giants uh, right now with an 889 ops. I, I did not see that one coming at all from Luis Gonzalez. In fact, of their guys who are semi-regulars, he has the highest ops on the Giants right now. All right. Now, I want to go uh, off the plan here just a little bit. We did not discuss this. You were not prepared to discuss this. But I think you guys have discussed this gentleman enough over the years that uh, you'll have something to say. Do you know which rookie pitcher these numbers belong to 0.55 era 12 games 16 and a third innings pitched three walks 15 strikeouts 186 average against 0.86 whip all 12 games in relief someone who made his is that joan duran it's not uh someone who made his big league debut in 2019 someone who i want to see if i can quickly find his uh, highest all-time rank on the top 100 prospects list. I want to say... I'm going to go with A.J. Puck, then. I'm guessing A.J. Puck. There you go. There you go. Yeah, he was number, th- I guess, number 32 in, in 2018 is what he peaked at. What do you think? Is this is this the real deal? Is is Are we going to see what we thought we were going to see all the way back in 2016, 17, 18? <sighs> Well, I think he's found his role. I mean, I, I think we kind of suspected for a while that he was going to wind up in relief. Um, you know, he's not going to be this dominant. I mean, he's, you know, but I, but I think he has the tools if he can stay healthy, which is a big if, to be a, a useful reliever. I, I don't know that I think he's a closer, but, you know, with that slider, you know, and, and the angle he presents, I, I could see him maybe being a setup man. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Look, could he close games? Maybe, sure. I mean, the stuff is good enough, but that slider, at the very least, you know, bring him in to face some tough lefties. Uh, I think he's going to end up getting more and more high leverage opportunities, whether they're it's closing games or it's the seventh or eighth inning. You know, I could see him end up being one of these, you know, sort of newer multi-inning reliever types that have a lot of value just because his stuff, you know, the problem wasn't the stuff. The stuff would hold up you know, in, into starts, it was it's his command and, and staying healthy. Uh, so if, you know, if you'd rather use him for two or three innings and then give him a couple of days off and then bring him back, then I think, you know, that, that might be a really, really good role for him. Yeah. And if you look, I'm just, I pulled, pulled up his baseball savant page. And, and one of the reasons I think he's having success this year is he's leaned into using the slider even more. You know, last year he used his slider about, you know, a little under, I think, a third of the time. And now he's using it, you know, like 43% of the time. Uh, and, and and that's his pitch. He's using it against both lefties and righties. Um, and, and I I think that is is the key. You know, I mean, when you're pitching short stints in relief, you know, we've seen a lot of guys do this. 
go with what works best as long as you can. And, and, you know, I, uh, you know, again, I don't think he's going to have the zero five, five ERA all year, but if he continues to rely heavily on the slider, I, I, I could see him having success. Interestingly, he has been slightly more effective against right-handers than left-handers so far this year. 167 average against right-handers, 217 average against uh, lefties. And he's throwing okay. more strikes than he has during his, his brief right. time in the big leagues. He's landing um, that slider for strikes, or at least getting you know getting in the swing in this. You know that 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 is a big key for him. All right, guys, uh, let's shift gears and talk about some guys who are hot in the minor leagues. Um, our prospect team of the week uh, came out uh, earlier this week, and wanted to have you guys spotlight a couple guys on that team. Jonathan, who you got? I'm uh, I'm gonna go with How You Lee uh, of the Phillies. He's the third baseman on our prospect team of the week this week, and you know I've been kind of keeping an eye on him because when I I was in Phillies camp for spring training, and Preston Mattingly, who is the the Phillies farm director now, uh, was just raving about Lee. Uh, they signed him for about a little over five hundred thousand dollars. Uh, from Taiwan and he, you know, he continued to show all spring, you know, last summer interest that he, he may be a better all around prospect than uh, they thought he can really hit. I mean, he only barely got his feet wet in the Florida complex league last year, uh, but hit very well there. And he's continued to hit uh, this year. Now, uh, obviously, th- this past week, he just completely went off. He had 455. He had four homers. He drove in 13 runs and stole a couple of bases, playing third and second. He's played a bunch of shortstop this year. I don't think he's a shortstop uh, long term. If he's going to play one spot in the big leagues, I think it's likely going to be second base, but he has really, really good instincts. Makes him a good base runner, even though he's not a burner. You know, And, and for the year, uh, he's got a 954 ops in the Florida state league. And he's still a teenager. Um, you know, I'd like to see them promote him up a level and challenge him. Cause I think, uh, because he is such a, a good hitter with such a, uh, a strong and advanced idea of what he's doing at the plate that I think it's going to play, uh, even if he moves up a level at such a young age. All right, Jim, and someone from this week's prospect team of the week that tickles your prospect fancy. That that would be Michael Bush, who, who's having an all-around great year for the Dodgers. And I'll, I'll give you guys a quick quiz. Michael Bush is one of three players to make two of the first five prospect teams of the week in 2022. Do you know who the other two players are? Shea Langoliers. I know Langoliers made it in back-to-back weeks. Shea Langoliers is one. The other guy's not a top 100 guy, but he's in the same organization as Michael Bush. Uh... It's not Leonard, is it? It's not. It's not Eddius Leonard who who made the list this week. I think you might just have to tell us. I mean, we're just going to have dead air until you guys figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, could go hey, and look I, it up. I've got all day. Like we can keep going. Now it's it's Miguel Amaya. Uh, I'm Miguel Amaya. Jacob Amaya. Maybe nice if I got his name. I'm, I'm conflating Miguel Vargas and Jacob Amaya into one super prospect who can cover the whole left side infield. It's shortstop Jacob Amaya. Who is Michael Bush's uh, organization mate in the in the Dodgers? And you know, Bush is a guy who was one of the best offensive players in the entire 2019 draft. And and you know, he he really didn't have much of a chance to show what he could do when healthy. He got hit 
on the right hand by pitch uh, in his pro debut. Uh, we saw him briefly in the fall league. And then last year he got, he had the pandemic year, so he didn't get to play that year. Then last year he started to play and, and was got off to a good start. And then he got hit by on the right hand again and struggled before finishing strong. And he's, you know, he's a guy who can hit for average. He can hit for power. He controls the strike zone. He's gotten, you know, he's not, you know, a burner by any means, but he's gotten quicker and more athletic and, and does a decent job at second base. And, and for the season now, he's gotten 11, 12 ops uh, in the minors and double A. He's got 17 extra base hits. He's got, you know, 24 walks and in 31 games. And, and this is the Michael Bush the Dodgers thought they were getting. So I think he's a guy who could, we could see him, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw him in the big leagues, if there's room for him, because the Dodgers are so talented, making contributions by the end of the season. All right. That prospect team of the week is up on MLB.com slash pipeline. Make sure you check that out. Uh, check out the best performers of the past week uh, among prospects in the minor leagues. Looking ahead, uh, wanted to give everybody a little taste of what is on tap on MLB.tv this week. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know, we've talked uh, over the past couple of episodes about the fact that we are bringing uh, top prospects and top minor league matchups to you on MLB.tv. You can watch these games for free. We're trying to do uh, about a game per day uh, with the exception of Friday, and there are no games uh, for the most part on Mondays. So we're looking at about five games a week. And to give you a little sample of what you can see, this week's slate looks like this. As we're recording, Akron uh, at Binghamton. So we've got the Rubber Ducks and the Rumble Ponies. I don't know if you can get a better matchup than that. Rubber Ducks, Rumble Ponies, <laughs> 11 a.m. start. Um, six top 100 prospects between those two teams on the rosters. Um, the Mets, big three. Uh, each of their top three prospects, uh, Alvarez, Beatty, uh, Mauricio, and as we're recording this, Mauricio has gone deep for the Rumble Ponies. Uh, and uh, Bo Naylor led off the game with a home run for Akron. So very nice matchup there. Uh, the rest of the week's schedule, Lake Elsinore at Visalia. little Jordan Lawler action. He's been fantastic. Thursday, we have Richmond, uh, Giants affiliate facing the uh, aforementioned Altoona lineup that uh, Jonathan you mentioned which uh, that lineup is stacked even more so with Henry Davis there now uh, some of those guys are not hitting you also talked about we've talked about Aguero he's he's there as well right mm-hmm. um, that's a nice little lineup no Quinn Priester yet and I think you have a, a bit of an update there yeah, he had a flare-up of an oblique issue, like right at the end of spring training, and uh, you know, obviously erring on the side of caution. Uh, he's getting built up now. There's no official timetable, but he's throwing, you know, three side sessions a week, so he's probably a couple weeks off. Um, you know, my guess is he'll he'll be there. Uh, I'm going to guess, and this is pure guess, but you know, by by the beginning of June, if they're going to be like super, super cautious. But he's he's working his way back. He's totally healthy now. Uh, they're just making sure he gets enough work in before they send him out. Yeah, that's a really nice roster. And Altoona has six of the Pirates' top 11 prospects. You can check them out. Uh, that game's on Thursday. On Saturday, over the weekend, we have Tulsa uh, at Amarillo. Um, Jim, there's there's your team, your uh, Tulsa team with Bush, 
No, no, Bush. Uh, Bush got. You know, oh, I was going to tell you. Oh, I was, yeah. I was well, stumbling because I was going to call Michael Bush, Jacob Amaya's double play partner, Tulsa, and our player page listed him with Oklahoma City, but his stats said Tulsa, and I was like not able to search quick enough while I was talking. He actually got promoted to Triple A Oklahoma City today. So watch that game. There's still going to be Dodgers prospects there. You can see Jacob Amaya, Andy Pahays against Corbin Carroll and Blake Walston. But you cannot watch Michael Bush on Saturday on MLB TV. It's because he made prospect team of the week. <laughs> twice. See, they told him, if you make it twice, we'll promote you. Yep. It was in his contract. Jacob Amaya is on a different plan, though, so he's got to make it three times. And I think there's a chance we could see Bobby Miller that day, which would be nice. It's always hard to pin down uh, the pitchers. But there is a chance, based on how frequently he's been pitching, his turn in the rotation, that he could pitch in that game, which would be nice. You can make some calls when we get off the podcast, Jason, to make that happen. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> and then Sunday, tasty little matchup between Biloxi and Mississippi with Sal Fralick, Michael Harris, the big names there, Joy Waymer for Biloxi as well. So three top 100 prospects, a bunch of big prospect matchups on the horizon on MLB.tv this week. You can... Watch those games. You can find them just about anywhere. You can see them on MLB.com slash pipeline. If you follow the MLB pipeline, Twitter account will point you in the right direction. You can see them on the Major League Parent Org websites. They're streamed right there. You can log on to MLB.tv and find them there. We're putting them all over the place. So make sure you're tuning into those. All right, let's wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. This comes from Pirates 2026 wildcard participant whose Twitter handle is the unforgettable at A837361. Assuming your Pirates prediction is true, get back to that in one second, which top prospect would the Pirates move to outfield given Hayes will operate third base moving forward? Paguero, Lee, Gonzalez. So that Pirates prediction that A837361 is referring to there was, Jim, your latest mock draft had Lee going to the Pirates and so he's saying, if that's true, what happens with the Pirates infield? Well, here's what here's what I think. I will I will step in. I know Jonathan is Mr. Pirate, but <laughs> since the question was directed to me initially on Twitter, I will answer first. Please. Yes, I agree. Cabrian Hayes will be the third baseman of the future. I think Lee Vera Piguero winds up being the shortstop of the future. I think Brooks Lee could certainly move to second base. I think he's a better second baseman than Nick Gonzalez. And I think Nick Gonzalez and O'Neill Cruz, who are right now middle infielders, eventually will move to the outfield. So that, that is how I envision all of that playing out. How about you, Jonathan? Uh, you know, I'd love to you know, pound the table and say that's wrong, but I think you're right. Um, I, I, I think that makes the most sense. Uh, you know, Pereira is such a good pure shortstop that it would be a mistake. He's athletic enough where he could go play the outfield. I, I'm sure he would be fine, but I don't think Brooks Lee is a shortstop at the big league level. Even though he, you know, he would like to be, would he be acceptable there? Maybe we'll have to wait and see. But I do think that what ends up happening is what you're saying. Pereira is at short. Brooks Lee plays second base, and then you've got O'Neill Cruz maybe in one corner and Nick Gonzalez in the other. I, I think that makes the most sense. Gonzalez's defense at second has never been his strongest suit. So, you know, I, I think you might see guys moving around a little bit. You know, O'Neill Cruz is, you know, getting reps in left field right now, but he's still playing a lot of shortstop. So you might see some, some mixing and matching and, and things of that nature. But 
I think when all is said and done, if you're going to have a steady regular lineup, that's what you're going to end up seeing. All right. Thank you to 8837361 for that question. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.